And that was my first experience with coaching and it was amazing. I started to see what mistakes I was making or where I was having issues, whether it was with confidence or strategy. And I feel like that self-awareness is so important and coaching really allows you to develop that self-awareness. Let's go. Hello and welcome to the brand new you show, the podcast dedicated to helping you build your brand. We meet here each week to learn how building your brand can help you grow your influence, amplify your online reputation, and ultimately impact your career. I'm your host, Ryan Roten, and today's guest believes that working bigger starts with you. Belma McCaffrey is the founder of the Work Bigger program. With Work Bigger, Belma helps her clients find their mission so that they can lead with purpose. Belma is the author of the book, How to Negotiate Without Losing Friends, Fans, or Job Offers, and her mission is to redefine what we call work. However, doing so requires you to think bigger. Belma, let's think bigger together today. Welcome to the Brand New You Show. Hi, Ryan. Thank you so much for having me. You are quite welcome, and we are going to dive right into our discussion today with the first question that I ask all of my guests, which is, if you could vacation in only one place, where would you go? Uh, I would probably go to Spain. Probably Andalusia, which is uh, the southern region. I studied abroad in Spain, so I have a huge emotional connection to it, and I especially loved the south. So I definitely want to go back because it's been um, it's been quite some time since I've been back there. Okay, I got one fun question for you before we kind of dive into the, our topics today. Who is your favorite Game of Thrones lady? Oh my gosh, um, I'm blanking on her name. It's She's like 12 years old. She just spoke with so much confidence when um, she was speaking with um, Jon John Snow. And she's like, you can have this army of 60 men. And I thought that was awesome. She's just such a badass. I want to be her when I grow up. She's awesome. <laughs> speaking of growing up, as I was reviewing your profile and I'm looking back through your you know, you kind of your career progression. I'm curious, how did how did careers kind of become your career? Yeah, well, I became really passionate about the career world because of a personal pain point. So I struggled since I was a kid to find my one thing, my passion. So when I got to college, I, well, first I picked Syracuse University, which was very random. I didn't even go visit the campus. <laughs> it's cold there in the winter, you know. So cold. But I said, you know what, I'll just go for it. We'll see how it goes. Then I decided to major in communications and attend the Newhouse School because it was one of the best schools, um, best programs in the country. But I had no real reason or purpose to why I chose that. Um, so after I graduated, I ended up in the media world. And a couple of years into my career, I just found myself feeling a little bit lost. I didn't really know why I was doing what I was doing and was always looking for more meaning and impact in my work. And as I went through my career, I stayed in the media world for a few years, um, worked at different agencies, Target Cast, uh, Group M, Avid Free Ginsburg. I then went to work at Condé Nast, working in business development there, doing negotiations. But I decided to, to go to business school because 
I wanted to expand my knowledge outside of the media world and really learn the ins and outs of running a company. And it was in business school that I started to to get answers to a lot of these questions that I had. I started to identify my mission. I saw that business was a way for me to be more creative. And it's when all of these pain points started to, to solve themselves. So that's why, that's when I said, you know what, I really want to help other young professionals overcome these issues. Because I saw I wasn't the only one going through a lot of these roadblocks that I faced in my 20s. I guess your desire to help these other young professionals is what led you to co-found Bold, if I said that correctly. Yeah. Is that correct? Is that right? That that's correct. Yes. And yes. and so what can you tell us a little bit about what is Bold? Yeah. So Bold uh, was an organization aimed to help young professional women overcome roadblocks in their careers. I started it with two friends in business school. We started hosting events and workshops where we taught women how to negotiate for a raise, how to build a personal brand, how to overcome confidence issues. And from there, we started to focus on career coaching because we found that career coaching is this incredibly powerful tool, but it's difficult for young professionals to really wrap their head or heads around the benefits of coaching. And it's also not always accessible because it could be very expensive. So we said, let's make career coaching affordable and accessible and have that be the way to help young women overcome these roadblocks that are so common in your career in your 20s. Um, but after two or three months, we decided to to close Bold, which was a sad, hard time, but it was for the best. Uh, my co-founders and I just had a lot of deep conversations and discovered that the three of us had different missions in our careers and we had different whys and purposes. So we've, you know, we thought this was for the best and luckily we're still good friends. And I do feel, feel lucky to be able to say that because you definitely take a risk when you decide to partner with, with your close friends or friends in general. You mentioned young people have, have uh, kind of trouble with the concept of coaching. I, I can tell you that I find the same thing really with almost anybody that reaches out to me because when people think of coaches, they think of sporting events and they think of, you know, health and fitness. They don't really think about all the other aspects of their lives where they could use coaches. I mean, I, I now, because I'm doing podcasts, I now know people who coach people to write books, who coach people to, you know, build their brands. Do you find that the people you talk to on a daily basis also kind of have the same kind of resistance or hesitancy to get involved with coaching that's not sports related? I find, yeah, and that's it's funny you mentioned sports because on my website, I call out how a sports coach is so helpful to an athlete. And I think that same concept should be applied to all areas of our lives. But I do find that, Older people are more open to it, especially as you grow in your career and you start to accelerate and reach more of an executive level, you're more and more open to it because you start to see how beneficial coaching is. I think it's a lot harder for young professionals to wrap their minds around that. And there's also always the concept of, I can just teach myself this, or I can just do this on my own. But you know, that's not always the case. It's a lot harder to overcome your roadblocks without some sort of support. I think the other benefit that coaching gives you is you get to avoid all of the mistakes and learnings that someone else made and went through 
by learning from them. So you don't have those hurdles to jump over because you know that they're coming and you can prepare for them. Yeah, exactly. You also start to ask different questions and you start to ask the right questions that open up your mind and allow you to, to see things differently. What I would not be able to understand what coaching is without having been coached. So I've worked with a few coaches the first organization I worked with is the Coaching Fellowship. They provide highly discounted coaching to women who are working towards some sort of social change. And that was my first experience with coaching, and it was amazing. I started to see what mistakes I was making or where I was having issues, whether it was with confidence or strategy. And I feel like that self-awareness is so important and coaching really allows you to develop that self-awareness. I think it's safe to say too that coaching helps you think bigger. Would you agree? Yes, absolutely. Now, when you, when you were running Bold, was that your full-time job or was that a part-time passion project? It was part-time. I was at, and still I'm actually at the Associated Press so after I graduated from business school, I took a full-time position at the AP. I was already here as an MBA intern working part-time because I was in school full-time. Um, but then I transitioned to a full-time role in business development because Bold was so new. We really didn't know where we were going to take it. I knew entrepreneurship was for me, and I knew that that was my long-term path, and I was going to head into that direction. But I also wasn't ready to commit to it full-time because I needed to be bringing money in, especially because I was pregnant and my husband was a freelancer. So, you know, all, I had to take in a lot of family situations and aspects that were going on in my life at the time. Yeah. So, I mean, let's, uh, if you don't mind, I want to talk about that just for a minute, because like you, I also have a full-time job and I try to balance this, this part-time side of me. How do you do that? You know, balance the full-time job with a part-time startup. And especially knowing that, you know, now that you're a mother to a young child, how do you, how do you kind of get through that? Yes. So the first year when I was running bold and after I went back to work, after my maternity leave, it was really tough. I was trying to figure out how to launch a company and how to adjust being back at work and then how to be a new mom. So that was really difficult. But I would say there's a number of things that help me and continue to help me. One is I have some productivity hacks that I can't live without. So I have figured out a way to work with greater focus and how to make the most of the gaps in the day. Whether that's commuting in the morning, I spend about 40 minutes of my commute walking. So I try to find, how can I make the best use of that time? Is it educating myself on something business related or is it thinking about the next blog post I'm going to write? I try to optimize any gaps that I could find. So that was one thing, learning to be more productive and focused and trying to find space in the day to let my creativity flow. So that's also really important because I write so much and creativity is a big part of what I do. The other thing that I absolutely can't live without is negotiation. I, I have taught negotiation. I was teaching it through bold throughout my entire career. Every single job I've had has involved uh, me negotiating deals and rates and partnerships. So it's always been part of my day-to-day, -day, but it became even more critical once I started this entrepreneurial journey. I just recently negotiated a 
part-time position at the Associated Press, which took me about three and a half months to do. So that's a big one because I constantly have to be negotiating with my boss on my schedule, with my husband on, you know, who's going to be handling what today with my parents or siblings to, you know, try to negotiate childcare, like find help however way I can. So that is a big thing for me. I'm guessing you also probably spend at least a small portion of your day negotiating with your child as well. (laughs) Yes. So he's at that phase where he's, you know, kind of listens, but he definitely has his own mind. So I'm learning (laughs) the best way to speak with him. Actually, that's so funny you mentioned that because I just noticed such a difference between him and my nephew. My nephew is only a few months older. and You tell him like, no, like don't do that. And he listens, but my son like doesn't care. He's like, what? I didn't hear you. And we'll just keep doing his own thing. So I've had to find new ways of communicating with him, which is definitely challenging, (laughs) but awesome. Well, I tell you what, it definitely makes you as a parent have to work bigger. So let's use (laughs) Let's use that as our transition to start talking about your Work Bigger program. Awesome. Can you let me know and the audience know that's listening who the program is for? Yeah. So the program is for young professionals who are in a transition phase. So the, the ideal person has identified that the traditional path is likely not for them. They're starting to question that path that was laid out for them and are starting to try to identify the work that they really want to do in the world. So that is the ideal person for work, work bigger. And it, it started with a bold transition. So when we were running bold, we had a job search strategy program, but after we shut it down and I started working on this new website, followmccaffrey.com, I started working with a client who came to me from bold and the program was really created from my work with her, which was just really amazing. And I started to see how important it is to be clear on your mission and to really know what it is you're you're trying to achieve big picture wise. Yeah. And as a part of the program, helping people identify their mission is one of the things um, that's included as well as identifying your personal story, your personal brand, uh, connection strategy, selling themselves, and of course, negotiation. And we're going to talk a little bit about each one of them. But from a mission standpoint, I think that's one of those kind of nebulous things that people hear about and they're not really, you know, they kind of grasp it at a high level, but they're not really sure how they can identify it for themselves. What are some, what are like some of the ways that you help people identify what their mission either is or could be? Yeah, there's a number of things that I usually uh, talk about with people. The first is your values. So being really clear on what your values are and what's important to you and Even identifying that is really challenging, but starting to think about like, what are the top five things that are most important to you? For me, I've identified that it's family, it's creativity, it's entrepreneurship and doing like challenging the status quo, which you you speak a lot about. So starting to identify like what's really important to you. Autonomy is another one that really resonates for me. So being clear on these things kind of lays the foundation for you on what drives you, like what's most important. And then from there, thinking about your interests, what are some things that you gravitate to naturally? What books are you always reading? What podcasts are you always listening to? For me, I found that I'm always listening to something inspirational or something business related. So starting to, to, to be clear on that and identify those things is like the books that you, you read and what you listen to is just a very easy place to start because you may not know what your passion is, but 
you know what what you want to read or you know what you gravitate to we all have that the other thing is your skills so starting to identify what what you're good at and what you enjoy doing you can do that in a number of ways you can survey your coworkers or you know family and friends and start to get their thoughts but then you should also think about when do you feel your best? When are you most confident? When are you in your element? I think those are some of the questions that you can start answering to start identifying your mission. And your mission is really an intersection of those three things. Yeah, you know what I what I found interesting about that, about your answer, is that so much of what you said, we all do today naturally. Mm -hmm. We just don't think of it in that manner. And that's something, you know, going back to what we were talking about earlier, that's what a good coach can help bring out of you is help you identify in a lot of cases, things that you already do that you hold in high regard. You just don't consciously think of it in that way. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And I think having formal frameworks are extremely helpful because they take you through a set process and make it more organized, make the thinking more organized for you, which I find extremely helpful. You know, moving on into the Work Bigger program, what uh, does someone's personal story or how does someone's personal story play into their mission? Yeah. So then I think it's once you identify what your mission is, then it's putting it into, into words and also communicating where you've been in the past. I think people who are in transition, it's really difficult to connect what you want to do now with where you were before, right? Because you could have had a completely unrelated career. Maybe you're an administrative assistant and now you want to go work in the environment. So telling the right stories about connecting the dots and also bringing your past experiences and saying, this is where I was, this is where I want to go, and this is what, what my mission is. And then also having an ask. I also think that's really important, or this is what I'm looking to do next. So whoever you're speaking with, as they hear your personal story, they know how to help you. They know what they can do to contribute to your mission. Can you expand on that a little bit more? Having an ask, what, does that, what is that ask that you're referring to? I guess it could be less of an ask and more of identifying what it is that that you're looking for. So... You know, for me, I've worked in the media world for 10 years now, but I'm, you know, I've also been an entrepreneur for two years and my mission is to help young professionals reach their full potential. So depending on who I'm speaking with, I would want to end it with, I'm, you know, looking to refine my frameworks. And if I'm speaking to a coach, for example, I would try to see how she can help there. Maybe she can recommend some resources for me to read. So anybody who, anybody who talks about personal brand and you've mentioned it um, a couple of times now, I love to ask them this question. And the reason I ask it is because I have my definition of it and almost anybody you talk to also has a definition of it. But what I'm finding is, is that while a lot of us say different words, they almost always mean the same thing. So I'm, I'm very curious to know what your definition of a personal brand is. My definition of a personal brand is how others perceive you, not as far as your mission. So is your mission clear to your audience? That's how I define it. And when I, with the work that I've done around personal branding, it's really around that, making sure that you're communicating your mission and you're being as, as specific as possible. I think it's difficult sometimes for people who are in transition or who are looking for a new job to identify that mission from what I've seen, because in a way you could be leaving out other opportunities. 
But I think that's a big part of it. You have to get as targeted as possible and, you know, maybe block out groups or people who aren't relevant to your mission. And I think your personal brand should do that. finding the older I get, and this is especially becoming more and more true in the sharing economy or this connection economy, is that the more narrowly focused you can be, it helps you find your mission better. It helps you build that story so that you have that ask and everything ties together with that personal brand. Exactly. And and then as you move forward, once you know those, those things, it, it all comes down to who you know and having some type of connection strategy, correct? Yes. So this I'm super passionate about because I get so tired of hearing the term networking. I find networking so awkward. And I remember when I was in college, the advisors or whoever it was would say, you know, make sure you send a thank you note and go out there and network. And I always felt like I was networking without any sort of purpose. And I'd have a list of questions, but they just felt so random. So as I've gotten older and as I've been working with young professionals on all this important career stuff, I think having a connection strategies is really important. And when you have your mission, it makes networking and connecting so much easier. And also what I've identified is that different things work for different people. So if you're more introverted, going to events may be extremely dreadful and not where you're your best. So why not find a different way to network? Why not set up one-on-one calls or individual phone calls or coffee dates Find what really works for you and leverage that because I think that's really, you should really be doing whatever allows you to be at your best. And another, another thing I get really passionate about is community. So there are so many different groups today. And even when we were running Bold, we were very big on community. I think community is, can be so much more powerful than just networking. So that's something I'm really passionate about. And I think starting to identify the right community for you or you can really thrive and build friendships and build genuine connections is really important. And it's so much better than just networking. You know, networking is one of those, it's again, one of those nebulous terms that's just kind of out there. And it's always been around. But really, I love I love the thought of having a connection strategy because that's really what you want to do when you, when you quote unquote network is you want to make a connection with someone. Exactly. Yeah. And it just feels so much more genuine rather than, you know, what can I get out of this relationship? Okay, so we're, we're following the Work Bigger program. If we're going through the process as you've got it set up, we're going to help people define their mission, which will tie into their personal story and help them focus their personal brand. They're going to develop this connection strategy that hopefully at some point will put them in the chair on the other side of a desk during an interview. And one of the things that I hear a lot from people is they get they get nervous, not so much about answering the questions, but about selling themselves. Mm-hmm. How do we help people sell themselves without feeling bad about it? Yeah, selling yourself can feel so awkward. I mean, I know from personal experience, I'm sure you do too. It's it's really difficult to do. And I think when it comes to the job search, interviewing is is so important. And I think one way to sell yourself without feeling awkward is to tap into your mission. Because when you're talking about something that you want to do, the work that you want to do, that is so much bigger than yourself. 
all that other stuff kind of falls to the side. It becomes secondary. Yeah, I, I like that. That's like full circle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you're not really selling yourself. You're selling your mission and what you can, how you can add value. Exactly, exactly. Because the work you want to do is so much more important that all those feelings of awkwardness or uncomfortable feelings or whatever it is that you're experiencing, they could still be there, but you know that you're fighting towards something bigger. I love that. And you close out your work bigger program with the topic that I can tell you're passionate about. Cause you've <laughs> mentioned it a few times now. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. fortunately you have a book on the topic, which people can um, go to your website, enter their email address and you, and you send it to them for free. It's called how to negotiate without losing friends, fans, or job offers. So my first question to you is, who did you write this book for? So it's more of a guide, less of a book. It's a, like it's a PDF that provides a framework for any negotiation. And this is for anyone who's struggling with confidence on how to approach and ask. So what I cover on there is mindset. So how can you shift your mindset from feeling unsure or insecure to more confident, right? And a lot of that has to do with the things that we say to ourselves. So changing the conversation in your head. And then from there is a framework that I use for a lot of my negotiations and kind of just starting to plan for that. I think having a framework is important, but then you actually have to like sit down and write down all of your issues, how you're going to approach the negotiation, what it is that you want, their specific steps that are involved, which I'm really passionate about. Because I think a lot of the times when we approach a negotiation, we don't have a clear plan and it can become really overwhelming. And when there's another person on the other side of the table giving us an offer or whatever it is, we feel like we have to answer it on the spot. But if you're prepared, it makes that conversation so much more enjoyable and way more successful. I want to talk about one of the very first things that you talk about in, can we call it a guidebook? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Because you talk about shifting your mindset Mm -hmm. and you cover some of the most popular excuses for why people have it. And I want to talk about a couple of them here in a minute. But why do you think just the mindset in general is so important when it comes to negotiation? Because a lot of the times we approach negotiation with fear, right? Like what's going to happen if I, if I make this ask, how are they going to perceive me? Let's say there's someone who received a job offer and you know, they offer you X amount of money, but you really want more. We're afraid to ask. We're afraid to make that initial ask because we think that the other person's going to perceive us a certain way. So I think changing that mindset and understanding that making the ask is actually a really powerful, positive thing, and the other person will actually respect us more for it is really important. So, so let's talk about that. Um, how, do, how do you get that process started? How do you, in your mind or even in, while you're sitting in front of somebody, how do, you, how do you say it? How do you do it? How do you get to that point where you, you're comfortable saying, okay, I need more money? Well, the first step is to be aware of how it is that you're approaching it. So if, let's say you have a job offer and they offer you, let's say 50K a year, the first thing you should do before you even respond, sit down and ask yourself, what do I actually want to be making? And hopefully you know that before you go into the job interview. But with whatever negotiation it is, you have to think about what is the ideal scenario for me? What do I really want? And then check yourself, see how are you approaching the situation? Do you want to go back and ask for more or are you feeling really hesitant? And that kind of will give you a sense of your mindset. So that's one way to focus on the mindset. From there is to really start developing a plan on understanding the other person at the other side of the table. So negotiation is often about problem solving. 
and gathering as much information as you can and understanding the other person and putting yourself in, in his or her shoes and coming to, to an agreement. And I think a lot of people see it as like a battle. And that's not how I view negotiation at all. To me, it's uh, more collaborative. One question I have that, that you talk about in, in your guidebook yeah. <laughs> is understanding what the lowest offer is you'll accept. Yes. And I find that interesting because most people, you know, most of the books I've read have always talked about, you know, the, the opposite end of that. Why is it important to know the lowest you'd accept? I think this is so important. You should be super clear on what your bottom line is is because you you have to know like, okay, I'm not going to go below this number. If you, let's say you do go below your bottom line, unless your circumstances change, you're in a desperate situation or you have no leverage. Once you go below that bottom line, it's not a sustainable long-term solution. So if you accept a job that's offering you way less than you want to make and you accept it, you're likely not going to last there a very long time. Well, now we always hear people talk about in negotiations, have a plan B ready. If, if our plan A, so what we're going to ask for, doesn't go well, obviously we know what the lowest is going to be. Where does, where does plan B come in? Yeah, so plan B would be what is your option if the negotiation doesn't go as planned? So that could be another job offer. It could be starting your own company. It's, it's your plan B that gives you, it gives you leverage. For plan A, right, it gives you, it could put you in a position of power or it could put you in a position where you have less power because you don't have another option. Belma, as we come to the end here of our conversation, and I, I, I think I could talk to you about negotiation for probably hours longer because it is such an important part, not just you know, not just for our careers, but really in our daily lives, as we've already alluded to. I mean, you even negotiate with children. Yes, exactly. <laughs> on a day-to-day <laughs> basis. So it's really, really important, I think, for people to know and understand that. But rather than ask you a bunch more questions about it, what I think I'd like to do is have you let us know what's the best ways for people to contact you so that they can ask you directly their questions about negotiation or how they can work bigger or think bigger? Yeah, I love when people email me. So feel free to email me directly at Belma at BelmaMcCaffrey.com. Or you can go on my website at BelmaMcCaffrey.com. I have a blog where I write often about negotiations. So there's a couple of posts on there and anyone can contact me through there as well. Awesome. Do you have any final thoughts, words of wisdom or tips that you would like to pass on to anybody that is listening today? Yeah, I just would like to say go for it. When you're at, whenever you're in that transition period, it can be really difficult, really stressful, but there's a ton of resources out there and just, just keep at it. I know for me, personally. It's been quite a long journey, but it's been so fulfilling and I really wouldn't change anything about it. So I think if you're facing that transition and you're trying to look for something different and trying to pursue what it is that you really want to do, it's definitely a fight worth fighting for. Fantastic. Velma, thank you very much for your time today. And I wish you the best of luck raising that little young man that you have running around your house. Thank you so much, Ryan. This is so (laughs) much fun. I really appreciate it. You know, I've always found it interesting to hear about the way in which people view coaching. Some get it, but most don't. And here's the thing. Coaching can change your life. And that's why you see so many successful people using coaches. Think about Richard Branson, Michael Jordan, and yes, even Oprah. They all use now or have utilized at some point in their career a coach. 
If you're a parent, chances are you've hired a coach for your child to get better at some type of sport. And we do this each and every year. In fact, it's estimated that the sports coaching business alone generates $5 billion in revenue each and every year. That's $5 billion with a B for sports. Do you know how many of those children slash young adults will actually become a professional athlete? We know the answer going in is going to be very few, but yet we still pay for the sports coach anyway because we want to see our child get better, to become more confident. And they do. The same is exactly true for educational coaches, only we don't call these people coaches at all. We call them tutors, but they do the exact same thing. They help us get better and become more confident. So why is it when we look at our own careers, we don't readily see the benefits of hiring a coach? You see, career coaches like Velma can do the same thing for your career that a sports coach can do for an athlete. They can help you get better and become more confident. So if you're struggling with your career and you can't decide what to do next, or you're just asking yourself, is this really all that there is? Well, maybe, just maybe, it's time for you to consider hiring a coach. Thank you, Belma, for sharing your time with us today, and thanks as well to you, the listener, for tuning in. You can find all the show notes and the links to everything that Belma and I discussed over on the blog at ryanroden.com forward slash the benefits of career coaching. If you're enjoying the show, don't forget you can leave a five-star rating and review over on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or your podcatcher of choice, and I encourage you, once you do, to go ahead and play a round of share the show with a friend or a coworker. That wraps it up for today. So until next week, I've been Ryan, and I'm out. Today's show was edited and produced by Ryan Broughton. The transition music is Holiday in Spain by Roman Dianoff, and the intro and outro, as always, is Pulse by Soundgrove.